0: Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. <clears throat> Let me try that one again. I didn't like it. I don't know why. It was pretty flat. I just, flat. just I felt didn't. Yeah, it felt. You got to psych yourself up. Positive self talk. It felt like I didn't care, but I do. Hello and welcome to You
1: Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Juris, and today I've been looking for a book to read. There you go. I
0: also don't know what theme, theme we're doing. So. Oh, it's hard, it's hard to talk about. To talk oh, about. The irony. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris, and this week I'm, of course, looking for the best book that's hard to talk about. Um, Of course, makes sense to me. And Mm -hmm. um, you're saying that like someone who just heard the theme a few minutes ago,
2: maybe (laughs) thinking about it for the first time.
0: I expect long pauses in this episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Just a lot of just contemplation to get through. Hemming, hawing. Okay. I will say that
2: I was walking with my wife last night and she asked me what the theme was this week. And I said, oh, it's hard to talk about. And she looked at me and she's like, why don't you pick a good theme? How about fun to talk about? Or like lasers? I'm like, yeah, that's that's maybe good I mean, feedback.
0: Let's be honest. Lasers is a great lasers. theme and it's shocking we haven't done that yet. I'm writing down lasers right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, to help me, of course, our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe.
2: Uh, good morning, Nick. It's Tuesday. Good or maybe I should say it's Monday. I don't know. It comes out on Monday, but it's actually Tuesday.
0: Read us it's, the paper, Joe. Hey, thank you for All walking
1: us right. through that. I know it's hard to talk about scheduling, but you did it. It is.
2: Good morning, Nick.
1: It's Tuesday. Witheads, it's Monday.
2: And I am Joe Holshue. I forgot how this goes. My name is Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you're looking for a hard book to talk about and a hard introduction to talk through, um, I would recommend The Anthropocene Reviewed, John Green's latest and I think his
0: best book.
1: Uh, You missed an opportunity to say it was his latest and greatest it, yeah latest uh, and greatest it
0: was so perfectly lined up
1: mm-hmm.
2: well I, I like to avoid you know cliche like if i've heard it before i try <laughs> the most to
1: recent say it. and good <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is dr Ian young i am an english teacher of the high school variety and today nick if you're looking for a book that's hard to talk about i have one and i will have a hard time talking about it it's called lud in the mist and it's by an author by an author named hope merely's who wrote this book and then stopped writing for 40 years that's the way to do it
2: may your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders
0: hey the plot doesn't fucking matter at all this is what i think it's about if you look closely enough
1: every <laughs> author was at some point a racist
0: audiobooks don't count right
1: all art is quite useless <laughs> who told you that fun fact that is how joe laughs, <laughs>, <laughs>,
0: <laughs> We should probably clarify what hard to talk about means. Um, Super w- racist. Okay. I always <laughs> like it when Nick clarifies.
2: I, I like it when Nick clarifies how we're going to discuss the theme after Ian and I have done all of our prep for the them. Like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, let me
2: make some new rules, punks. Lit
1: heads, you're not privy to the
0: other part of it where we say, what does this mean? Nick's like, I don't know, whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> Um. Look. Whenever we pick a terrible, terrible theme, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we owe it to the lit heads to at least try to describe what that means in our stupid heads. So, sure. um, is are these books? Do they touch controversial topics? Are they? Do they have big words like Joe's uh, title of his book, which obviously we we don't know what that means at all. Um, <laughs> like what are what are the what what's the merit here?
1: Um, I I think when we talked about this, the idea is. They're books that we maybe are very, very passionate about, but it's really hard to do a 30-second summary. It's mm. really hard to communicate what the book is doing without just recounting the entire book. And this, is, this is kind of, I guess, maybe like a challenge week for us because that's the whole point of this podcast is we talk about these books in 20 minutes. Um, but there are certain books, I think, which really push against neat summarization. So that's the the approach I took this week.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's not that it's necessarily hard topic matter, like we've done podcasts like that before, but it's more like, hey, in my case, the format of this book is really weird and wonky
0: and there's not like a traditional arc to it. So good luck with that. Good luck with that. Cool. Uh, well, welcome, Litheads, to you don't know Lit, uh, a weekly, or as we call, strongly podcast strongly here. Strongly podcast, and um, where where every week we pick a fantastic theme, and, and Joe and Ian bring uh, bring two books to uh, to present to me um, at my feet on a small pillow. Um, and of course, we do have rules uh, because we are going to pick a winner today, and uh, we have some rules to keep us on track. Rule number one is omit. um, Nope. Rule number one is uh, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Good. Rule number two is omit needless words, Joseph. Got omit needless words. Because of this, I like to just really tell stories. And uh, rule number (laughs) three is uh, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing here that's important. Um, So with that, I I have two comments. First, Nick, how are you worse at these rules every week? Every week. And the
1: second is... We, of course, have our usual shadow rules. Can you hear me? How about now? And can you try calling me back when you have better service?
0: Uh, well, one of the rules <laughs> isn't to know the rules very well. So, um, <laughs> That's so right, Nick is well course. within
1: the
2: confines
0: of classic the shadow. So: Classic rule. Classic <laughs> rule situation. <laughs> Maybe that's a shadow rule, but I don't really abide by those. So um, Joe Joseph, uh, since yes. this is really difficult to encapsulate in 30 seconds, do you want to take 30 <laughs> seconds to tell me what your book is about? <laughs> Absolutely. Nick, The
2: Anthropocene Reviewed is John Green's
0: best book. You know
2: John Green. He's the author of like, these young adult smash hits like The Fault in Our Stars or Turtles All the Way Down. But this time, he's not writing about what it's like to be a struggling teenager, but instead what it's like to be a human being on this planet. And he does it by rating aspects of the human experience on a five-star scale. Everything from the Taco Bell breakfast menu to the bubonic plague.
0: <laughs> oh no, I need to find a one-star review for this. Um, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe, this sounds very much like uh, your Zen motorcycle book. Um, oh, right. We're talking <laughs> about like quality. I did think about the motorcycle
2: book when I was reading this a little bit.
0: Yeah, I did start the audiobook of huh. that. Mm-hmm. Um it it real peaks and valleys for me on that one. <laughs> it's like but, in some <laughs> moments where I'm like this is this is incredibly good. And then yeah. there's other moments where um man, it sounds like a science teacher explaining life to you. Yeah,
2: like, it's um it's mm. it's hit and miss. It's hit and miss.
0: Yeah. I'm enjoying it. That's rock. Ian. Ian. Yeah. P- Paging Dr. Ian yeah. Dejung. Do you want to take yep, 30 here. seconds and tell me what your book is about?
2: Ian, when you got your doctorate, did they give you a pager? Do you have a pager?
1: I do, but I never change <laughs> the batteries. So it's just been beeping sure. for the last year and a half. Um, all for Shakespeare
2: emergencies. emergencies. There's a Shakespeare <laughs> emergency. We need Dr. DeYoung.
1: That's a smoke detector. I'll tell you guys about an, a, a very legitimate Shakespeare emergency sometime, but not today. Uh, Okay, here's my 30-second summary. There is a lot of great fantasy fiction out there. There are the Chosen One books, the political drama books, the mysterious magic books, the ancient evil books, the epic showdown books. This week, I brought a wonderful book that's really hard to talk about that unites all of these types and includes other genres and tropes too. The only fantasy novel Hope Merley's ever wrote is really hard to talk about but super easy to read. It's called Lud in the Mist. It was first published in 1926, then it was forgotten for a half century and more. What is hmm. Lud? Lud.
0: Can you well, guys go word by word in each of your books and tell me what each word <laughs> means, please? <laughs> Not to judge it by its cover, but I've
2: heard of Grillas in the Mist. I've heard of blood in the water,
0: but I've never uh-huh. heard of Lud at all. Is this the drug from the
2: eighties?
1: <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, close, close, L- but no L- cigar. Quailudes, Quailudes in the mist. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> A very um, different book, maybe. Quailudes in the mist. Horrifying. Uh, Lud is so. Lud is actually. Um, It shows up in the Bible as the name of like in one of those genealogies, but it, a lot of people think it's like, Oh, it's the name of a biblical city. It's not, it kind of has this, this like vibe of an old city that, um, lit was in fantasy times, but also kind of has some weird connections to alternate reality. So in Stephen King's, uh, dark tower series, which is brilliant. And I'll talk about those books sometime. One of the, someday. Um the the one of the one of the big cities is the city of Lud. So it's kind of got this this it's it's a fantasy Whoa. trope. Why didn't we save this for Big Cities Week? It's <laughs> big city books? Woo! No, it's a fantasy trope for a name. Um it also helps that uh the term Luddite is a term right. which is applied to people who are like kind of backwards in a very specific way. So in the 18th century, 18th, 19th century, somewhere there, um, people who were anti-technology and went, went around destroying uh, automate, automated machines, like automated looms were called Luddites. Right. We still use that.
2: We call somebody yeah. who like, yep. you know, uses a flip phone a Luddite.
0: Yeah. Ian seems to be uh you seem to be strong arming your way into this. So why don't you uh why don't you just keep talking about your book? Tell us what it's about. Uh and Schwarzenegger to the rescue. Um I'm
1: just sorry, I'm getting uh distracted by oh my goodness. I'm just getting distracted by Luddites. They were a secret organization that um mm, Illuminati that had like oaths and stuff. Well, not really. Their Wait, job what are was the oaths? less like Do you know them? Uh darn heck Poop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no <laughs> they were like That's, an anti technology cult like did they was it like fight club where they went and blew up buildings or or destroyed looms like you say
1: well yeah so so in the in the <laughs> it was the it was the nineteenth nineteenth century the eighteen hundreds um there was like more more and more automation of uh weaving and other sort of cloth based industries you know of carving course. and spinning and stuff, and big cloth big, big cloth was, was getting bigger and it was it was getting automated in part because of steam technology so Um, there were, there were English laborers who were like, we don't want automation. And the way we're going to react to this is by making apparently a secret society with oaths and initiations. And we're going to go and break, like destroy the textile mills. We're going to do collaborative vandalism to make sure that this doesn't happen. Um, and they were supposedly named after a, a dude named Ned Ludd, Who broke some weaving machines, but nobody really knows why they're called luddites. But that's not what my my book is about. So yeah, that didn't seem relevant to anybody.
2: (laughs) Pretty interesting.
1: Bloodites, it's interesting. Okay, so uh, first, I You're want to. Luddite? This is less a. This is less a question for immediate discussion and more a question for you guys to think about as we as we talk about this. Uh, mm,
2: think about what you've done.
1: Sit, uh, neck, okay. sit in the
2: corner. Think Sounds about like it.
1: the fun is beginning. I'm ready. <laughs> Let the fun begin. Okay, um, so. Uh in in my teaching sometimes uh when I introduce a new text I, I I offer a big question and this big question is not designed for students to like immediately start discussing it it's more about like this will percolate in your mind as you uh as you read the book as you hear about the the book as we discuss it um and then maybe towards the end we can get to an answer to the question or maybe not maybe it's just a question that sits there so um <clears throat> the question is something like this what is the value of art to society
0: utmost it's the utmost
1: value okay well this is the problem well, not always ask right the question away. and i not say right it's a big away. question you don't have you to answer, an answer right, right away and then some smart aleck raises a hand right away and says here's my answer done with about yeah. 30 seconds yeah. of did Nick. you want a long pause <laughs> in dead air no, right. I didn't want any pause. I'm putting this question out there and maybe we'll come back to it and maybe we won't. This is one of the big questions of this book. What is the value of art to society? Um, and, and we can talk about that or maybe not depending on what happens. Okay, so this is, as I say, hard to talk about. And a big part of that is the plot. So I'm going to give you broad brushstrokes and okay. I'm really gonna avoid spoilers because this is a book which if you spoil it will be kind of ruined. It's spoily. Spo- it's very spoily, Yeah, it, it would be spoiled. You would spoil yeah. it. Yeah. Spoilerific. Okay, there right. is a. The book takes place in mostly in a town in and around a town called Lud, and the town of Lud and its larger kind of it's the capital city of this bigger fantasy land. Lud and its its country used to be at peace with Fairyland, and Fairyland is just <laughs> over over the the mountains. So there is a line of mountains. It sounds made up. well and this is one of the things i'll take a brief time out to say this book is like it's not really trying to be grim and gritty it's very much like no fairyland is called fairyland they're called yeah so it's it's very kind of upfront with its with its its fantastical elements so lud used to be at peace with fairyland and a big part of this relationship of this peaceful relationship was the fruit that was grown in fairyland and fairy fruit is like not like, it's almost alien. It's really kind of alien. It's not like normal people fruit. It's not like apples and bananas. Their color Fairy fruit is different colors, colors that you've never seen before. It's unreal, unearthly shapes. And fairy fruit, when you eat it, the book basically says fairy fruit causes two things. It causes art and it causes madness. And so when you eat fairy fruit, you will have artistic poetic sense, but you might also go crazy. Yeah. So, the Luddites, were for a long time, they're like, this is cool. But then they're like, let's get rid of both of these. Let's get rid of art and madness because art is has become connected to madness and it's all tangled up together. Let's get rid of it. Fairyland, we hate you. No more fairy fruit. And there's also this revolution where the kind of middle class overthrows the ruling class and Ludd turns into this boring place without any art or, or sort of um, uh, poetic spirit. But it's also safe from madness. So they say, Sure, like and the then, Dark Ages, sort of, <laughs> sort of, but <laughs> like it's very. Who's our main character
0: prosperous. who enters the <laughs> to change right. it all it, for somebody, Does yeah.
2: anybody ever say like when they're destroying this fairy, tr- like this fairy fruit? I assume that it grows on fairy trees. So is well, there like somebody that ever says like I cannot tell a lie? I chop down the fairy tree. Right. No. this is the moral chop, chop,
1: chop. <laughs> um, nobody, nobody does that um,
0: because the, my name the is fruit. Luke
1: Skywalker, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the fruit grows in uh, fairyland and then it's smuggled in. So one of the things that kind of, and we'll talk about this in a bit, basically fairy fruit kind of seems like a, it kind of seems like drugs. It seems like LSD. It seems like, like, yeah, it's like, yes, it gives you artistic sense, but it also can make you mad. And it just seems like she she writes this in the 1920s um, when uh, marijuana use kind of recreational marijuana use is more and more popular. And and people are starting to say, oh, it's reefer. So um, I don't know. There could be something there. But I've just given you the backstory. The main plot of the book starts after all of that. I have a lot
0: of questions. Please ask me your questions. Okay. Um, how long is this book? What type of? How, how big of a world is, it, is this? World building? It sounds like world building. Well, yeah. So this is one of my points. This is one of the reasons I love this book
1: and why it's hard to talk about. Um, you guys have all read those those massive those massive books those massive fantasy oh yeah books. all the time um, you know Nick. So
0: big big so big book I, the big thicker book the neck. better that's what I always say this book so all that stuff I just told
1: you happens in about one chapter. This book is relatively short. It's 320 pages. So it's like the size of a normal novel. It's perhaps a little bit longer than a normal novel, but she writes so Homer Lee's writes so economically, she packs a ton of plot and character into this short book. And she said, like, she expects you to be paying attention. And so like the sort of the sort of chosen one mystery ancient evil epic showdown plot. And it really does have all of these things. It plays out really, really relatively quickly. Um, She doesn't really like kind of stretch it out, which I love having read so many fantasy books where everything has to be described. Like we're going on a quest and we have to describe what they have for dinner every night and what everyone's wearing. Robert Jordan, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Basically the plot of the book is that there is a dude who. Uh, our 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 chosen one, more or less, who um has a <clears throat> he has a connection to fairyland, which he doesn't really want to acknowledge. And the book is about him sort of coming to terms with this connection to fairyland, and also it's about loss, and it's about um sort of him repairing his family and um the 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 reintroduction of art into this society which has really kind of lost art and really the question of how should we do that because there are some people who are like um kind of taking a a bad approach uh, a really forceful and 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 wrong approach to to reintroducing art into the town of lud and there are others who are kind of doing it better
0: I feel like um, maybe whoever does, since this week is hard to talk about, I feel like whoever does a, maybe a worse job at describing <laughs> their book should win. It's going, <laughs> so going to just, win this. Just week. to get a lifetime rating here, Ian, I think you're at about a seven, seven or eight. You're doing pretty well. Yeah, so I you think may so want to pull back, stutter okay. a little bit, uh, stumble, stumble through plot points, things like that. But, um, Ian, I have a question. Uh, this whole uh, is art useful thing? Yes, I you really want to like, come back to that. I feel like, um, I don't know, that's kind of, I mean, yeah. S- seems like it. It, it seems, seems important. Like, seems pretty important. And I feel like a lot of books try to, to, tr- to do this. Mm. Why is this different? Why is this not? Yeah. Ni- why shouldn't I read 1984?
2: Well, and I guess my question is like, is this like of an era? Like, was there something going on where she's like, hey, people are super against art and I want to write this fable about mm. the importance of art mm. in our lives. And, and also, here it is. Yeah.
0: And just a quick follow-up. This is the 1920s. Is the swastika in this book as like a thing that nobody even cares about? Like, it's <laughs> like they don't even abuse. know like the swastika is bad yet.
1: Uh, there's a, um. sorry, the swastika made me remember. There's a post office in Reno, Nevada, where I live. And mm-hmm. the post office is like, it's like it's like What's your uh, dress, Art Deco. <laughs> no, the post It's it's got really beautiful. It's it's from like it was it was designed in the 1920s, and Uh-oh. it's got a lot of the original metalwork. And yeah. some of the metalwork includes swastikas all over it. And for a while, I'm not sure if it's Do still you up, but you, the, there were plaques up saying, "Okay, no, this this was not people being Nazis.
0: <laughs> this <laughs> was the ancient sans Sanskrit not symbol not of the peace, and then Hitler office.
1: ruined it." It's great. It's great. Um, this is, these are really, really good questions. So thank you, I, thank you. I think, I think the, the, like, why shouldn't I read 1984 or one that, yeah. uh, another one that comes to mind is the one that Joe brought about the apocalypse. Joe, what was that one called?
0: Brave New World. Right. Uh, I did not yeah. bring that.
1: I
2: don't remember the book about the apocalypse. <laughs> so yeah, many yeah, of these yeah.
0: shows. It's like different time periods or something like that. Emily,
1: Emily St. John Mandel, that one. I don't think I read that book. Station 11.
2: Station, Station 11. Post Apocalypse. Right. Uh, brought to you by loyal Lithead Olivia. Thank you, Olivia, for your recommendation, which yes. has obviously stuck with me <laughs>
1: really
0: in our hearts, Olivia, but
1: station <laughs> 11. Okay. So station 11 does something similar. It says like, wow, it sure is important to have art in, 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 your society. And what happens to a society when, it when it fails, I think that what sets this apart is um, kind of a, a, a two, two elements of it. So first this, this book works at multiple levels. This book is not kind of overt message. Like, wow, well, this town is dreadful. The town of Ludd is dreadful because it has no art. And here is how we're going to save it. Um, so that's one element. We'll t- I'll talk more about that in a second. And the other element is that this is the 1920s, which is the kind of the high, the high point of a literary movement called modernism. Um, Nick, do you remember, have we, have you heard about modernism before? I mean, you have, but this is my rhetorical question.
0: Uh, then rhetorically, yes. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, uh, Ernest, Hemingway's, Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises is a modernist text Ulysses is uh, James Joyce is a modernist mm-hmm. text yeah. we've read a couple of other books that count um, Metropolis which I read way way back at the beginning of the the podcast was a modernist text basically modernism says mm, we've been doing things the same way for a long time what can we do to make it new what can we do to kind of like stir the pot and in the 1920s this was um, uh a cool thing to say experimentation um really reflecting on how we can make our art up to date as opposed to just copying the old masters how can we create a new a, a new kind of art for right. the let's make our day.
2: let's make our own art
1: right Like yeah we, right yeah right who's improving so, the art so so this book is a modernist book because it's saying maybe doing things the old way we've always done isn't necessarily the the it's not the only it's not the best ideas i told you i, I talked to you guys about emmanuel kant uh before in a couple a couple of weeks ago like yeah thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Thesis is like the established position, antithesis is reaction, and then synthesis is the beautiful new kind of collaboration which arises from the clash of synthesis and antithesis. And this book is like, we're going to think about art in society, and we're not going to just say, yeah, we need more English departments and more national endowment for the arts. We need more painters. We need to do things the old way. It's saying, let's find a new normal where art plays an important part, but art doesn't dominate.
0: I don't understand what you're saying at all.
1: That's okay. I'm saying it in a pretty, <laughs> a pretty dreadful. This is me trying to draw my, drag oh, my. Hey, that's right. Okay. You're, yeah, you're okay. out of five. Start <laughs> Adjust, over. This is Just start this over. This is the. This is the. This is the idea it's trying to put forward. Adjust your expectations. I think our society. You guys, we do live in a society. In case you hadn't noticed, and this is a society which, um. Our, our society wants us to choose on a binary. It's like, you're this or that. You yeah. identify as this political party or that. You're religious right. or you're not religious. You're an you, artsy you like person or a pizza. sciencey you person. Don't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and the book kind of starts out with this, binary model. It sets up fairyland as like, Oh, horrible, terrifying evil. And Lud is like the bastion of law. But as time mm. goes by, like, and as she builds this world and as she kind of uh, expands upon the plot line of missing children and a society that is really powerless in the face of fairy fruit, it turns out that the truth is more complicated than just fairyland bad Lud good. The end. Um, Lud has this society which is driven by law, and that ends up being kind of foolish and limited. And it it makes you think about how we cling to our binaries instead of sort of looking towards the shades of gray. So, okay, the last thing I want to say, I want, I, I really want to talk about the backstory of this book because I mentioned that she she didn't publish anything for forty years. Yeah, um, we should wrap that up. Yeah. Put a bow on that, a, Ian. A little thread when I come back to you. So she is she's a really good author. She is like she was friends with uh, a lot of the the great authors kind of in the modernist movement. So a big one is Virginia Woolf. Um, uh, Merely's Hope Merlees, um was connected to kind of this world of um, this this world of modernist uh, writing she had written two other novels before this one. One was a historical novel, one was a more contemporary novel. They were both really interested in kind of the big question of like, what value, what is the value of art to society? So she's doing these books that have kind of this, these novels that have this thrust, asking these philosophical questions. And she wrote this book. And then um, she had a friend who she had studied with and kind of uh, carted around Europe with. I don't believe they were romantically involved. They were just they were just friends. Um, and the friend died. And after the friend died, Mirley's writing career just sort of dropped off the map. She stopped writing. So she became a Catholic. She moved to South Africa, and she didn't publish anything major between 1926 and 1963. Whoa! So she just she just kind of stopped.
0: Yeah. Did she make lots of cash money on this book? Not really.
1: Like I don't know where her money came from. I mean, I think I think rent was lower in those days, so it was probably easier to live. But yeah. But it's she just she was just gone. She was off the literary map. So so she and then she she died in 1978. Now, this book, Lud in the Mist, was reprinted in 1970. And the printers, the, the publishers It was technically a pirate version. It was unauthorized. It was an unauthorized edition because the publisher said, we tried and we don't know if the author is alive or not.
2: Like we've done our due diligence. We've done everything we can to
1: track her down. And we we don't think she exists. Author in the mist. So she died in 1978, eight years after it was kind of pirated. Um, And she was sort of destined for obscurity. But then around, I don't know, 2000-2005 somewhere in there, people started paying attention to her work. And they started looking at some of her modernist poetry and they started paying more attention to this book. Neil Gaiman says this is one of the like his top 10 books of all time, and that's kind of a great uh a, a great pretty,
2: That's uh, a pretty good endorsement.
1: <laughs> yes. And so this book is kind of like becoming more more well-known. She's becoming more well-known. Um there there still isn't going to be a movie. I would love to see this as a movie. This would be an incredible movie or a limited series. It's so much fun, but it's kind of languished in obscurity for a long time, and it's high time that Hope Mirles comes back. So, consider me uh, uh, a Hope Mirles stan, Neil. If you're listening, thank you for this. Thank you for this recommendation. Uh, I, I understand it was a personal recommendation, so I personally am thank a you, it Neil to
2: Gammon. You.
0: Hey, I recently heard that Good Omens is going to have a sequel originally written by Terry Pratchett. What do you guys think about doing that as a theme for next week?
1: Nick, when you say you recently heard, do you mean you just Googled that and are reading verbatim the first Google result? Yes.
0: Great. I love this. Who's Terry Pratchett and what, what books should I read of him? At him. About him. Of him. With yeah. him. so Terry
2: Pratchett, he's one. He's written like a trillion books. Like yes. every book you've ever seen on, it, like when you look at people's bookshelves and they're just full of books, and you're like, what are all those? They're all Terry Pratchett books, right? Like he's written that many books.
1: Terry Pratchett is uh, his public image. He passed away unfortunately recently, but his fan public show. image is largely yeah, fan of the show. Thank Big you, Terry, fan. for that endorsement. You, he was a knight actually. So oh, is that our first <laughs> knight, Sir
2: Terry Pratchett?
1: Uh, I'll bring the the book which he co-authored, which Pratchett co-authored with. Uh, Neil Gaiman called Good Omens. And I've never read this book before and I'm very excited to read it. Fantastic.
2: And I I feel like a few years ago, I was like, I've never read one of Terry Pratchett's trillion books. I should start somewhere. Where should I start? And the one that was recommended to me at the time is the one that I'm bringing next week. And that is uh, Terry Pratchett's The Color of Magic. Uh, Cowboy hat and all.
0: Joseph, I'd like to kick off your book with a one star review.
2: Oh, I, it, it breaks my heart that a one star review exists of this book. But, wow. but Nick, I, I will wow. take my medicine.
0: Oh, man. Uh, Joe, there's a one star review of everything. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. I didn't like it. That's everybody <laughs> on the internet. Um, all right, Joseph, uh, one star review from Sarah. She reads uh, uh, the following Ro- mm. she writes the following. I could not finish this. What an utter waste of time. I adore John Green. A Fault in Our Stars is my top 10 favorite books of all time. But this is just nonsensical babbling about nothing of any importance. Diet Dr. Pepper? Who cares? Teddy bears? Who cares? Don't bother unless you have nothing better to do with your time. So I guess my question is, um, what is she missing completely? Yeah, I I, I think a lot. Sarah? Sarah? I think you missed the point. I think um, you might have missed the whole point, Sarah. Okay.
2: I, so I understand how there could be backlash against this book. If you are like a diehard John Green fan, Nick, is John Green a person that's on your radar at all? Like, do you know anything about him? Negative. Do you <laughs> okay. watch him?
1: Do you watch him while, do you you watch watch him?
0: while he sleeps? No. Okay. No, I don't, I don't, I don't really watch anybody when they sleep. Do you watch your daughter when she sleeps? Yeah, I watch my daughter. You Jesus. have to make sure she's doing it right.
2: She might be messing it up.
0: Yeah. Well, you pretty much got to watch them the first year while they sleep because they can just die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like anything. Like a blanket could could just finish their existence. So, So John Green is
2: like, Uh, John Green is this wildly successful author. I I think he's wildly successful. Like when he releases a book, it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. He's had movies made of his stuff. Like he, but everything he writes is young adult fiction. And it's like firmly young adult. It's about like teenagers' relationships and teenagers doing teenage things. Teenagers doing teenage things. And they're like, they're really cool books. They're like sweet and touching and, like, philosophical in a lot of ways. Like, I think a lot of times he might be the first thing that a teenager reads that, like, it feels deep to them. Like, they're like, oh, I never thought of that before. That sort of thing. Okay. Well, this book Pretty is... Pretty young guy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's probably, like, 40 years old. 40 mm-hmm, years old, mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, this book is a wild departure from that. Like, this book is him saying... Look, I've been writing these books about teenagers for a long time, and every time I write a book, people assume it's at least somewhat autobiographical. So his most recent book before this was a book called Turtles All the Way Down, and it was about like coping with mental illness. And John Green has been very public and very open talking about his own struggles and treatment and like ways that he deals with mental illnesses. Um, So he says, people assume it's autobiographical. And like, of course, there's aspects in there. Like, you know, my my own mental illness informs how I've written about mental illness. But like, it's not an autobiography. So this is my attempt at writing an autobiography. Like, this is my attempt at writing about the world as I see it. And the way
0: that he does it is through these five star reviews. So, um, just, just to be clear, is this like something you have to Google or is this quite clear that this is like an autobiography in like, you get that from the book itself, the page. Like, does
1: he say that in the, in the introduction, like this is going to be an autobiography, but it won't be about motorcycles. Yeah. yeah. Joe, Ian so, so, and Nick, this is my autobiography. Authors, please d- d- direct address to us more frequently. That you lied. know, the so power convenient. we have over your future as an author right. so talk right. to us tell us what you want us to know we're, we're well, or and sometimes we're... sometimes
2: i don't pay attention until somebody says my name right like oh, a lot yeah. of times i'm just like my eyes are going over the page until right. they're like joe joe this part is for i
0: no. mean i think nick sometimes just doesn't pay attention full stop maybe they could make all books like that just like you know through the use of ai just you know insert name x here and then right. all books could be written just directly to people guys, these are so many good suggestions. I do have a couple things I want to say about
2: this book though. Um, It it reminds (laughs) me, you ask if it's, if it's overtly an autobiography, it actually reminds me of Kurt Vonnegut in his book, um, slapstick in which he says in the intro, Hey, this is probably the closest I'm going to come to writing an autobiography. So it's not exactly autobiographical, but like it's as close as you're going to get. So enjoy it. That's kind of the same thing that John Green writes in his intro, right? Where he says, look, this isn't, an autobiography where I tell you about what it was like to be a kid growing up in Orlando, Florida. Um, I'll talk about Orlando, Florida a little bit, but you know, like through the lens of this review, but it's not really about my life. It's about how I see the world.
1: And the idea is that matters because he's written young adult fiction.
2: No, I think the idea is like that matter. Well, the, the book I'm is not called, being snarky. Like he no, has, no, 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 he's, no. he has
1: an outsized, like, it seems like, I'd never heard of him, I'd heard of his, his books, but it seems like he has an outside influence on culture, and especially, like, youth culture. So, maybe it's just like, hey, what does this, this individual
0: what have is this? to say
1: about Dr. Pepper? So, no, I, I
2: don't think that's what it is. Like, I don't think he's saying, this is what John Green says about Diet Dr. Pepper, right? Or this is why my opinion matters. <laughs> I think he would say, well, my opinion, like doesn't matter to most people it matters to me and this is why i think diet dr pepper is this like cool and interesting thing and if that opinion has a seat at your table awesome like i hope it's useful for you right but i this is quite
0: nonlinear, joe maybe we should start from the beginning
1: yep absolutely (laughs) can you give us an exhaustive list
0: of the things he reviews
2: Um, i can give you a smattering of the list why
0: Why don't you start at the beginning here joe what's this book about okay
2: This book is called The Anthropocene Reviewed, and one of the things that John Green talks about is he says, look, when you look at how the earth has been shaped over like the eons and eons and eons that it's been here, there's always these different like eras, right? There's like the Pliocene, there's the Jurassic, right? And we use like these words to describe like these massive eras of time. Well, about a hundred years ago, scientists started to observe hey, the number one thing that shapes the earth right now is humanity, right? Like everything on earth is like subject to the whims of humanity at this point. So we, starting with, and people dated at different times, some people dated at like the agricultural revolution, some people the industrial revolution, some people the 1960s, they say, we are living in the Anthropocene. We are living in this time that is unprecedented in human. Like in humanity, in which we are the number one thing that shapes this planet. Welcome to the human era, and he is setting out to review piece by piece by piece the human
0: era. Now, bold, yep, <laughs> it's quite the undertaking, Joe. <laughs> quite well, and and like the
2: the lenses that in he the chooses to review there were it Bose,
0: through Bose wireless Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, but like the lenses that he chooses to review it through are surprising. Like you say Bose wireless headphones, but like I, that wouldn't be out of place in this book. Like I'm just scanning the the table of contents right now. And I see, yeah, I see super Mario Kart. I see the Bonneville salt flats. I see like viral meningitis, sycamore trees, uh, the band, the mountain goats, right? Like he talks about things that are meaningful to him. Joe, is this a mosaic? Oh, is this a mosaic? like I'd say is, is it, it like is like a it picture like sure cut up of these little pieces?
1: right? Like maybe the Anthropocene is something which is too big for sort of like it's too big to talk about in a concrete way. it's it has to be abstract. So is he um saying like my my vantage point on the Anthropocene has it being a mosaic which is composed of all of these small concrete elements which can, when we step back, give us a larger sense of the, the era as a whole.
2: What's he saying, Joe? That, that's absolutely perfect, Ian. And like the word that you used to You're talk welcome. about your book this week was synthesis, right? And yep. I think that's kind of what John Green does here, where he says, hey, here's hey. a list of stuff that's really meaningful to me. And I'm going to write these short essays about each one, anywhere from like four to eight pages about each one of these things. Something about these things that I find meaningful. And when taken together, there's maybe a larger picture there, right? Like maybe we're kind of getting at some sort of arc when you read all these back to back. Or if you just want to break off like the little one about, old, about the song Old Lang Sign, right? And just enjoy that is this beautiful little gem of writing about like this song that we sing at new year's eve that's like 400 years old like you can just do that and hopefully you get something out of that
0: joe i want to just say right now you are thriving um at hard to talk about (laughs) oh god i'd say a solid five fantastic um now ian he could screw this up and really you know round it out but we'll see we'll see yeah. We'll now remember, Joe, this is a good thing.
2: Yeah, I know. It doesn't feel good.
1: <laughs> what is he like, what's an example of, of
2: what Green does? Okay, so actually I've put together a little bit of a game for us. I right? love it. And of course you did. It's it's a simple game and it's just called Let's Review. Right? Let's, yeah. let's review. And okay. what I want to do is I want to give you one of John Green's topics, right? One of the things that he writes a whole essay about in here. And I just want to hear your thoughts on that topic. And if you're feeling bold, right? Maybe like a five or a one to five star review about that thing. I'm ready, to
0: do, I'm ready to do this. Love it. Awesome. Number one, Halley's Comet. How do you guys feel about Halley's Comet? I'll go first. I loved it. Yeah. Really brought people together. Um, cool thing in space. What's not to love? Oh, wait. Did we think it was going to destroy Earth? Because that might have been a thing to not love. But I don't think it was ever going to hit Earth, right? So I think good. Five stars. Want more of Five them. Now, wow. Not coming at us, but I'd like more of Right in that That, that was. wide orbit, like that mm-hmm. 75-year orbit. Yes,
1: I'm gonna give Haley's comment zero stars. Wow. Uh, it appeared it appeared before I was born, and I'll probably be too blind to see it by the time it returns. And yeah. as such, it does not exist to me. It only exists as, um, it only exists as the concept, right as as history and as future. So uh, it it does not exist and it gets zero stars because I can't rate something for any stars, which which has no being. Yeah, so John Green gives Halley's Comet
2: four and a half stars, and he talks about, like, kind of the things about Halley's Comet that capture our imagination. Like, the fact that it's been revisiting humanity every, you know, 75 years for forever, right? Like, like, this is like a common human experience that unites us going— all the way back. Um, He talks about like how it's kind of a cool way to measure your own life, right? Like how Mark Twain kind of famously was born with Halley's Comet and then 70 years later, 70 odd years later, went out with Halley's Comet, right? And it's like, it's this thing that exists in the world for humans that you can't help but ascribe meaning to, right? Like it feels meaningful somehow. Um, Even Ian saying like, yeah, I don't like Halley's Comet because it came before I was born and you know what like I'm I'm going to be old and infirm by the time it comes again
0: yeah uh, my question is uh, whose perspective is this from I I don't feel like we've really rounded out what is happening in this book so my question is this he writes a bunch of stuff because he feels they're significant to the human race is that and he he rates them so Mm -hmm. does he rate them from his perspective like so this is like the human race as told in through like the 40 years he's been alive? Hey, yes. folks,
1: listen, you've always wanted to know
0: what John Green believes in oh, the, yeah. the human race. Yeah, so, it kind of sounds no. fucking stupid, Joe, from that oh, perspective. Oh, I, I,
2: I hate that you don't like this because I like it so much.
0: <laughs> well, convince me otherwise. What am I missing? I'm not, I'm not trying to be a Sarah here, okay? I'm just trying to understand <laughs> the book.
2: John Green writes about all these things that are important to him, right? Yeah. he ascribes value to for some reason. And sometimes- It's not very much value, right? Like sometimes, you know, he's very against Canadian geese, for example, and who wouldn't be. Um, But like, it's all things that are important to him. But one of the things that makes me think about when I read is what are those things that are important to me, right? Whether it's like that Picasso wallpaper in in my bathroom and why do I think about it why is it captured my imagination whether it's like the smart water bottles that I refill and refill and refill this week of course brought to you by smart water um you can refill them Thank and refill Smartwater. them and refill them and you love some folks them again. he
0: loves them I,
2: I love them so much I'm like famous for leaving them at people's houses right Nick how many smart water
0: bottles have I left at your house Um, just to put it in perspective, I got Joe a case of smart water for Christmas last year. (laughs) And it was
2: the best gift I got this year. (laughs) So, so like, I don't think John Green is ever saying you should care what I think about this topic. Like that, that never is the case. However, he said, like what he is saying is this is something that's important to me. Let me tell you why it's important to me and how I think about it. And in it, he's like earnest and funny and like brings you to tears sometimes and like kind of writes about like in a very beautiful way that he's so, so good at. Um, and I hope maybe it can be a little bit important to you. It's a series of essays, right? You can just break one off. You can read one in, oh, I don't know, uh, 10 to 20 minutes, I would say each one ta- takes. Mm. and And yeah, and it's just something it, – it, it, it's like a good book. It, it's maybe a good book to keep next to the toilet, right? A good book to keep ah. in the bathroom, right? <laughs> like pick it up, read Return a 10-minute essay. A toilet
0: book. Yeah.
2: This book started as a podcast. And if you don't want to read this book, you can subscribe to the Anthropocene Reviewed in which he reads these essays, but pretty much in the form that they appear in the book. Um, and And they're lovely. Like they're these great little gems. Like you can listen to one, sit with it all day, think about it. It's great. What is best about this book, though, is what, in my experience, is always best about John Green, and that is that he writes with an incredible earnestness about just, well, I guess, life. Um, When I read this book, I couldn't believe how often it made me laugh out loud, like a line would just catch me out of nowhere, and I would laugh out loud. How often it brought- LOL for short- Oh my Mm -hmm. God. How often it like literally brought tears to my eyes. Where I, like, I would read a line or, like, uh, an essay would build to this crescendo, and I would, like, kind of get a gut punch at a certain point and think, Jesus, I can't remember the last time I read something that made me feel like this. Uh, So it made me laugh.
0: You sound really in touch with your emotions, Joe.
2: Oh, it made me laugh. It made me cry. Like, it's full of, like, surprising connections. It's incredibly earnest. And ultimately, I think it's really a beautiful book. And, and certainly if maybe not, you know, Sarah, one star review, if it's not a beautiful book, there are moments in this book that I am so happy are with me at this point. Cause I, I get to keep them. You know, that's one of the best things about reading. <laughs> those it's are the, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Those are mine now, right? <laughs> they, they started as John not Green's, serious. but now they're mine. And I'm so dang happy. I have them. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely awesome. Hard to talk about, but awesome.
0: Ian, you lose. Um mm. Joe's uh your Ian, yours seems to have some sort of structure mm-hmm. and like it, it still follows story and right. it's you know it's this is a story, you know. Joe's seems to be uh, just Pure Chaos, scattered, uh, which is very difficult to talk about. And I, I swear I asked uh, at least 17 times to please give me an example. And he just mm-hmm. wouldn't do it. And so uh-huh. I really would like to hear something from the book uh, in a quote form. Uh uh-huh. in, in addition to the one that he already gave you. Yeah. Uh, another one. Well, also, I wasn't really listening. He was. He As always happens on this
1: podcast, <laughs> the person who did a better job presenting the yeah. book yes. loses. Yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> folks. If you would like to if you like to submit a book for our podcast, which uh, then Nick will uh, make lose, um, yep. go ahead and do so at our website. You don't know Um There's a place for you to submit a, a book for us to peruse or a theme if you want. We've had some good themes submitted, including uh, last week's theme, which was a reader submission. Uh, thank you, Annie, for that. You can also go to our social. We're, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, but not TikTok. Sorry, TikTok, Not TikTok. Sorry,
0: Sorry and China.
1: you can also head over to um, the iTunes store and give us a review uh, or subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. We really appreciate those interactions with you. It's honestly the fuel that keeps us coming back to this thing. Certainly not the joy of conversing with these two knuckleheads. I would also like to recommend a TV show um which Joe's <laughs> okay. book Joe's book dreadfully <laughs> just dreadfully rips off of and I'm sure the TV show is better than Joe's book. It's called Review <laughs> with Forrest McNeil. Um, it was it was it ran for three seasons. It's Andy Daly, who is a brilliant, a brilliant comedian, and he goes around and reviews. Um, he's playing a character who has a review show and he reviews things like pancakes or divorce. And the way he reviews them is by undergoing them. So uh the, the over the course of the show, his life gradually falls apart because he is um he is uh undertaking all of the things that he has to review, so um, for the episode where he reviews being divorced, he actually divorces, the character divorces his wife. It's a hilarious show, uh, st- highly recommended um, just just uh, a beautiful
0: a beautiful take on this review genre, which I'm sure blows Joe's book out of the water. right, but if that takes you away from listening to our content every week, then don't mm, don't, don't don't don't, don't, don't do watch it. it. Yeah. nope I really don't see how. it well, I just, it makes me feel a little insecure recommending anything but this podcast. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what we
2: should recommend every week. (laughs) Um, This is from the Wintery Mix, the one where he synthesizes many things into a review about Wintery Mix. Mm. He says, Wikipedia tells me that groundhogs in the wild can expect to live six years at the most, but my nemesis has been alive and consuming the garden I cultivate for at least eight She's been 25 feet from the edge of the garden. She lives there beneath a tiny wooden shed where I store garden tools. Sometimes I'll watch her from the deck off the back of my office as she digs beneath the fence my dad and I built to keep the groundhog out. I'll shout at the groundhog from my lime green Adirondack chair where I'm trying to write. I'll get out of the chair and I'll start walking toward her at which point she'll look toward me with absolute disdain before moseying back beneath the fence to her home. And then five or 10 minutes later, I'll look up and I'll see her eating soybeans. She knows that I'm unwilling to kill her and she knows that I lack the intelligence to groundhog-proof the garden, and so she lives to an impossible old age, eating a wondrous array of fresh organic fruits and vegetables. You need a sense of purpose to get through life. The groundhog has given me one. But now it's winter, early 2020, and she's hibernating. It's been January for months in both directions, and I, of course, do not know what's coming. And so yes, of course precipitation is utterly indifferent to us, As E.E. Cummings put us, the snow doesn't give a soft white damn who it touches. And yes, how grateful we are that the modernists for knocking down uh, our doors to inform us that clouds do not threaten or weep and that the only verb a cloud ever verbed was to be. But we give a soft white damn whom snow touches. I don't believe we have a choice when it comes to whether or not we endow the world with meaning. We are all little fairies sprinkling meaning dust everywhere we go. This mountain will mean God, and that precipitation will mean trouble. The vacuum of space will mean emptiness, and the groundhog will mean nature's scorn for human absurdity. We will build up meaning wherever we go, with whatever we come across. But to me, while making meaning isn't choice, the kind of meaning can be. I give Wintry Mix four stars.